Hi, this is Jonathan with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast. And today we're going to be kind of talking a little bit about residential. And I'm here with uh, Gene. Well, you know what? I'll let Gene introduce himself. Gene, you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Gene Guarino. I know it's not easy to say, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I didn't want to mess up the name, man. I didn't want to mess up the name. <laughs> it's all good. So uh, you're with the Real, uh, Real um, the Residential, sorry, Assisted Living Academy. Yes. And so you all teach people how to use or uh, find a single family home and start an assisted living uh, business. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, so, it's a real estate play and a business play. So we'll talk about both. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, how did you wind up here in this space? Just, you know, kind of uh, the origin story, if you don't mind. Yeah. I've been doing real estate since I was 18 years old. So that was a, that was a long time ago, as you can tell with the gray beard here. <laughs> But, uh, you know, at 18, we had a, a music school, recording studio, small record label. So we were renting a building for two years when I was 16 to 18 with my older brother. And then uh, he was a bad landlord and the house was even worse. So we said, we're either shutting it down or we're going to get our own place. And that's how our real estate investing began. Uh, so 18 was that. And it was for a business purpose. We did fix and flip, buy and hold. First commercial was the age of 25. And then flash forward a number of decades, uh, about 20 plus years ago, I heard about what I do now, residential assisted living. And the person who was talking about it was just saying, hey, it's another opportunity in real estate. I wanted to find out more, but nobody was doing it, could teach me how. Interest went down till my mom needed help. And that was about 10 years ago when she started to need help. And then it became real. It wasn't just real estate. It wasn't just money. It's mom. And then when we started to look around, Jonathan, for what the opportunities are to help take care of your own mother, if you can't quit your job and you know neglect your own kids to take care of your mom, what do you do? Uh, it was pretty sad, scary, and we realized there's an opportunity here as well. So took care of mom, but created the, the solution. And that's what we do now is this residential assisted living. Well, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I, I uh, remember my dad about three years ago, he passed away and, you know, we had the benefit of having mom who was able, and then I had other family members who would come in and, and help dad along the way, you know, through his, his final days. And uh, he was able to, if you will, age in place here at home, but I know that a lot of people aren't able to do so. So, that's right. um, and man, that's awesome. So right now, I mean, it's an academy. It's not a quote unquote, just purely real estate play. What, you know, someone is interested in, in, in potentially starting their own. What, how do they seek you out and how do you interface with them? What is it that you want them to kind of, you know, what space do you want them to be in? You know, uh, I'll make sure we actually wrote a book recently called Blueprint, How to Start Your Own Residential Assisted Living Business. And I'll give a copy of that to all of your listeners here. Uh, yeah, it's a it's an easy read, and but it'll give you the origins and the whole opportunity. But I you think you want to give us the link right now. And then, of sure. course, you can give it again. What, what's that link? It's RAL101.com. So simple, RAL101.com. Got it. Perfect. And yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And they can download the book, watch webinars, give us a call. No problem. But there's two opportunities. One is certainly real estate and the other is the business side. So on the real estate side, and this is going to be funny, you know, two real estate guys talking, the bricks and sticks, the dirt and the mud, that's the easy part. It really is. It's the moving parts of the business. That's, that's where it's more complicated, more challenge, but there's more opportunity. Uh, so the real estate, you know, and don't say this out loud to other people, but it's okay to even pay full retail for what we do because it's all about the location, location, location. 
Real estate's gonna go up and down in value, whether it's worth a million, 500 or 200, but the cash flow that's generated from it, that's what I'm interested in. So a single family home generating 10,000 a month or more from this business of residential assisted living is very attractive to most people. So then in terms of, I guess, um, a painful price, you know, it's, I'm gonna say guys, you know, we don't like to pay full price. So I, I can actually go and find a, a home that's already been say, you know, renovated, you know, is, is should it all be like a, a, a one floor or should it be multi-floor or how, you know, what are the, some of the specifications that you're looking for in that sort of situation? So the house itself, single story would be better than multi-story. But right. in, you know, you're in an area where there's mostly two and three story homes. I'm in Arizona right now where there's a lot of single level and there's multi-story too, but every area has single level. But when you think about a senior, if they don't have to go up and down stairs, that's one less challenge for them in a living situation. Uh, so single level's better, doesn't have to be though. Bigger is better than smaller. Uh, and when I say bigger, I'm gonna give you a rule of thumb, 300 square feet of living space per resident is comfortable. So if you had a 3,000 square foot house, you could have 10 or 12 seniors in that house. Legally, you could do it in about half that space, but I don't want you to do it that way. So you can have 10 or 12 in a 3,000 square foot house. Uh, my homes in Arizona that we use are four, five, 6,000 square feet. Uh, I know of people that are doing it in 1,500 square foot homes. Uh, so bigger is better, more bedrooms is better, more bathrooms is most important, because we can turn space into bedrooms, but bathrooms and plumbing, that's more expensive. Uh, but the key to this whole thing, Jonathan, is location. And so when I say location, what you're looking for is not, yeah. you know, you're in a beautiful area with a beautiful, I don't need to be mountaintop, oceanfront, uh, any of that. What I'm looking for is the demographics, the people who live around. And so I want to be in what, what are some of those specifics? I mean, are we talking like it needs to be, you know, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. Is it, you know, suburban Washington, D.C., inner city, D.C., or are you looking for, you know, what, what, what is it that you're looking for specifically? Yeah, and this is, you're in the perfect area to talk about this too, because in DC, that is the most expensive market in the country, and hence the world, for assisted living. The average price for assisted living, private room in assisted living per month is over $11,000 in the Washington, DC area. That's crazy. That's nuts. Nationwide, it's a little over 4,000, but in your area, it's over 11,000. My grandmother lived in that area, and 20 plus years ago, they were paying 13,000 a month for her to live in, in essence, a converted apartment complex that they called assisted living. Uh, so when I say demographics, here's what I'm looking for. Geographically, we need, we're in certain areas. The Northeast is more expensive than the Southeast. But demographically, I'm looking for, if this is the middle, I want people on the upper middle income, not the top of the top, the cream of the crop, and not at the bottom. The ones who are at the bottom, Medicare, Medicaid will pay for their long-term care, but that averages about 2,000 a month for that side. If the average- oh, look, that's the, now, is that the average price of the home or the average price uh, or average salaries in the area? Which one? No, it's okay. When I say 4,000, what I mean is that's what people are paying per month, per person to live in one of these assisted living homes. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, if 4,000 is average, that means somebody, and it's you and I, we're the, we're the family, we're paying for mom and dad's care. We chose sure. the location, we're footing the bill. We're paying 4,000 a month to have mom be taken care of. Understood. Uh, so, you mentioned that the middle, the middle, you know, there's a middle and then you want just above the middle. Are you saying you want just above the middle in terms of the amount that someone pays per month? 
uh, for for this care or okay, got it. All right. PG, yeah, and and the one really easy way to think about this is average household income. So there in America today, it's like sixty thousand dollars per household income. There you go. Keep in mind, in San Jose, it's one hundred and seventeen thousand before you get to your low income. If you're below one hundred and seventeen, that's how nuts it is out there. Yeah. If you're a Mississippian, you're making you know sixty thousand. You're one of the well-off people. So it's yeah. different in different areas. But whatever's middle in your area, we want to be a little bit above that. Ten percent, twenty percent. Is there a specific percentage of some sort? So if I were to walk you through the steps, what I'd say is for the house, 300 square feet per resident, not bedroom, is good size. Single levels better. Uh, more bathrooms is better. If I were doing demographics, I would say whatever the average household income is in your area, double that. So twice that average household income, that would be like a good neighborhood. Got it. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And then that, that gives, you know, from a real estate perspective, if someone is going to go, you know, reach out to a real estate agent, you know, they can easily go and find that. They can go to City Data, you can go to Zillow, you can go to a lot of different places in order to find that. I think City Data will probably give you the, um, the average or median household income for a particular area. Uh, I know that there are a bunch of other things. If you're working with a real estate agent, you can use RPR. Uh, RPR, ask them to use RPR. That's a free tool for realtors uh, nationwide uh, within the U.S. Essentially, what you can do is type in any property, if you will, and there's a bunch of a, additional data about the neighborhood, about mm -hmm. the city, about the county, and about the state. And so they compare, you know, that particular property across all those those different demographics. And it also tells you a lot more about, you know, people commuting and their salaries, uh, how many people are married with children, et cetera. So it's just a, a bunch of additional data that maybe, you know, you all use at some point in time too. So um, yeah. that's just it's something possible. else for somebody else who may be looking in, the, in this sphere. So we've got the house, right? We know what we're looking for in terms of demographics of the house. We know uh, the demographics of the area that we're looking in. Uh, what else is a consideration? Um, the number of seniors. So, you know, in the U.S. itself, we all talk about the baby boomers. I'm a baby boomer, but baby boomers are typically not in assisted living yet. They're about 10 years away. Uh, the average person in assisted living is in their 80s. They might be 82 years old. So the, the earliest baby boomer, the oldest ones are like 72. They're 10 years away from that average age. Uh, so what we're looking for is a lot of people in an area. So uh, when we say demographics, part of it is how many people. So more people is better than less people. Don't be in the remote thousand people in a small ghost town in the middle of nowhere, right? You, you've got millions of people around you, so you understand. Yeah. And there's so many different communities there. So that's one thing, the number of people, because there's a percentage of them that are going to need assisted living. So if, we're, if I were to dig in a little bit more, if there's 100,000 people, there's probably 15% of that group is going to be 65 and above. Got it. So 15%, that 15,000, out of that 15,000, 10 to 20% of those people are going to need assisted living. So if I were to say 20% of that, that's 3,000 beds that are needed in that demographic area. And if I see that there's only 1,000 of those beds available, well, there's a high need, that's a great place to put a home. If I see that there's 4,000 of those beds available, uh, then I would pick another place. So then if, if that's the case, that, may, that must mean that there are a couple of regions where you recognize it's kind of hot and you really need you know, additional beds in an area. If that's the case, and you, you know a couple off the top of your head, what cities are those? 
<laughs> you know, and it's not even city. You can't, because let's oh, pick okay. you know, Dallas per se, because Dallas is one, I think you were mentioning North Texas, right? But Dallas itself is a big, huge city with millions of people, but yeah. there's good areas and bad areas. There's areas that have more beds than needed and others that are underserved. So it's always very, very local. And that's what I encourage anybody who gets into this industry. I want you to learn as much as you can before you do it. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just 4000 a month is the price across the nation. There's places, Austin is $5,800 on average, and El Paso is $2,200. So we yeah. can't just say that Texas is. It's very unique and different in each area. Yeah, and again, uh, yeah, I was just, just thinking maybe that they would be like, okay, if you're in, you know, Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, let's just say, you know, <laughs> that they're, you know that's a hot area. Um, well, you, um, you mentioned North Dallas, the idea of Little Elm, Frisco, and I think you're even talking above that, but yeah, Little Elm yeah. and Frisco, those are hot growing areas right yeah. there, but there's a lot of new building going on too. So when you have new building, that tends to mean younger people moving in. So if the people moving in are 30 and 40, their parents are only 50 and 60. My target is that 50, 60 year old, that's me because my parent would be 80 or 90. So right. that's the one who's going to live in the home, but I'm the customer because I'm going to choose the home. There you go. Okay. So then in terms, let's say I find an area, right? I kind of know what kind of property I'm going to get. I kind of know, you know, the type of people that I want to make sure that are in the area and I'm out driving, you know, driving for dollars from a wholesale perspective, you know, for those who are in residential understand that. And I see this home and it's a nice home. It's in a nice area. It's one level. It's pretty big. I call up RAL and, and do what? <laughs> I speak to you. I mean, what, 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 how do I, how do I get in? First of all, stay at home. Don't get in the car. Call us first. Because here's the thing. A lot of times people come to our class and we do, we do training class. We used to be all in person in Phoenix and now we do them online, which has been amazing. It's been great. But people come and they say, I have a house. And it's like, there's a lot of things you need to know before we get to that part. That's like step 18. So don't go driving dollars. This one's different. We, here's what we do. We start with location first. So yeah. I always say, you know, you live in DC. Great. And then you're interested in Dallas. Great. We got two locations. Let's learn the rules of the game in each one. Once you know how many people you can have at a home, like for instance, in, uh, I know off the top of my head in Baltimore or Maryland per se, you can have 14 people in a single family home in assisted living in wow. Texas, you can have up to 16 people. But if you're in the city of Dallas, you can only have eight. See, now all of that is up here, but once you pick your area, then we want to learn the rules of the game. What can we do? Can't we do? How do we do it? Then the next step is going to be, we're going to get to the house eventually. But the reason, I, the reason why I said it to you this way, and I did it jokingly, yeah, for you is the idea of it's not the house. That's the easy part. We can find the right location and scrape away the house and rebuild it. So it's not about the deal, it's the location. So one of the things um, also for those that are out there, you know, you're trying to fix, you know, find a place and, you know, with the COVID-19 situation right now, you know, say you're in Washington, D.C. area, going to Dallas may not necessarily be the thing that you want to do, you know, get in on the airplane if you're not that comfortable. So uh, if you look at the statistics, the statistics, let me get my words together here, um, about uh, most... <laughs> it's the heat. It is hot out here. Um, most most people, but most people who are investing invest in um, things that are within 20 miles of their home. So mm -hmm. if you draw a 20 mile radius around where you're currently living, then that may be a good idea and a good you know 
place to start looking at location, 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 and doing the drill down. But and of course, go and get that free report. And that free report is RA. Uh, what was that again? RAL one hundred and one, and it's a whole book. But RAL one hundred and one com. It's a whole book that you should read and then give them a call before trying to go out and actually find a particular property. So yeah. um, is there, and I know that, you know, I'm going to ask you a little bit about, you know, how could some, how much could someone, you know, potentially make with say, you know, a, that 3000 square foot home that we talked about. I mean, I, I know that it's going to be different for every area because again, right. every area is, is, you know, gets paid differently but someone say who's interested in this they have a full-time job etc are they expected to quit their job can they do this you know kind of as a part-time kind of thing and then hire out management you know i, I guess that's and then how much could they make you know what is going to be sure. worth their, their time and their interest so let me because you you covered a lot of ground in that so let me answer it this way number one find your own passion whatever you get thrilled about I don't want you to quit your job for anything unless if you don't like what you're doing, quit your job. You know what I mean? It's like, there's, you're not trapped to live any place or do anything for anybody. Do what you want because you want to do it. When it comes to how much money you can make, I'm going to give you an average numbers across the country. So the average, and this according to genworth.com, which is a long-term care insurance company, they've done a lot of surveys, $4,051 per person per month is the average. Let's call it 4,000 to make our math easy. Let's say we had 10 seniors in that home. Your area can have more, some areas less, but 10 times four is 40 grand per month gross income. Right. And after all expenses, meaning everything, not just the real estate, but the caregivers, the food, everything, you're going to net somewhere around $10,000 a month after all expenses from that. But keep in mind, I know that sounds exciting, but keep in mind, it's not just a real estate. Like you're looking to buy an apartment where you live across the country and it'll just produce cash flow. You've got a manager on site who fills the homes, takes care of all the poo that you don't want to take care of. And then you get a check with what's left over. This is different. There's a business involved. So there's people involved. Now here's the part that I want to make is I'm very hands off and I designed right. it that way from the very beginning. I don't want to be, I don't even want to be within 20 minutes of it because then I'm going to feel like I can just stop over there and check on the hot water heater. And the, I don't want to do that. You may be better off being a thousand miles away because now you're going to make a plan to get out there. Because look at what we're doing right now. We're having a conversation with each other electronically. Do I ever have to be in my care home? Some of our students right now literally have not been to their homes in months since February or March. Uh, but they have managers, they have caregivers, there's residents in there. Business is happening. You just don't have to be inside that business. And if you decide that up front and kind of design your life that way, uh, you're going to be, I think, a lot happier, a lot better off than you would if you're going to say, well, I'm going to go fix this or I'm going to go do that. That makes sense. So then I, I asked a bunch of different questions. Now what you're, what you're, you're making me think a little bit more because for those who, who like the hands-off model and don't want to touch anything and do any management whatsoever, you know, I think that may be, may be perfect. And again, I'm not a financial analyst for someone just say doing it with their self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k where they can't, you know, do anything with it to get any benefit. But again, it may be something that could help them with their retirement. Do you have anybody doing things like that? Uh, yeah, on more of the investment side. So yeah. let me kind of lay it out this way. I'm going to go this oh, way. Okay. The, low, the less involved you are, the lower your return. So think about it. If I write a check and put it into a REIT, I don't do anything besides write a check and look at a statement. And once a quarter, I might get a dividend. So I'm going to get 8%. 
But if I want to be an owner where I'm taking some risk, I'm getting involved to some extent by putting up my money into one deal, at least I know where the property is, I might get 10%. But if I'm going to be the owner of the business and I'm going to have a manager who's going to have caregivers and residents, et cetera, I'm more involved, but that may be five or 10 hours a week of work. And that's where I'm at, what a lot of our students do. But that okay. five to 10 hours, it's pretty low key. I'm not, I'm not there every day. Rarely am I. But that's, that's pretty hands off. But now we can be getting, if we can get 20, 30% of that gross income to come to the bottom line, that's pretty huge. That's very huge. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that this. So then, so then what's my investment? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the return, you know, the average returns. And again, these sure. that's not what you may experience. It's average. We've talked sure. about where we got that information from, but what's my investment? What, what am I going to be responsible for getting into this? Well, the reality is when we say what's our investment, do you mean how much money or time or both? Uh, let's talk, we talked about time is that if we're going to get that, you know, 20, 30% that comes to the bottom line, we're talking five to 10 hours a week investment of time in terms of money. What is the investment of money? And that, and the, the short answer, and I'll give you a longer one is it depends. And it depends on, are you going to use your own money or somebody else's? Cause gotcha. the shortest time is you write a check and it's done. The one that will take longer is to raise the capital and use other people's money. It's more effort, but then you have zero of your own capital or you're closer to that side, uh, but it takes effort to raise that capital. So, so are, you, are you syndicating, joint venturing, or, you know, how yeah, is that? Yes. So yes and yes. So myself personally, what I've done for the most part is use other people's money to do everything I've done. So from the very first property when I was 18 years old, no money down because I had no money. Doesn't mean there was no money involved, it just wasn't mine because I had, didn't have any. So the first care home that I bought a business and the real estate was no money down, none of my money because I know how to use other people's money and raise capital for it. So I raised more than enough to buy the real estate and the business and have additional reserve as well. So it can be no money down, but the easiest way, simplest way, write a check, pay for it. It takes more effort to raise the capital from other people and the longer you've been doing something, the easier that becomes because they know you like, you trust you, uh, but you got to start somewhere. And even banks right now, there's, you know, when we do our training, there's seven different ways to fund what we do in residential assisted living, but SBA, Small Business Administration, they'll uh, fund up to 90% of the real estate, 75% of the business purchase, 90% uh, of the renovation costs. Now that's if you have some experience or you have a team of people around you that do if you're buying an existing business, those are the rates, that's what they'll fund. Now, if it's brand new, you just got out of the womb, you've never done real estate, you've never done business, you don't have a job, you got bad credit, the chance of them lending you a dime is slim. Uh, so it depends on where you're at. So obviously you teach within the book and you know what, what you guys do to, to build a, a good team. Just like in you know, multifamily syndication, we talk about you know, who are the people that are going to go with you on the GP? That's the general partner side. Do you have any people on the LP? Those, you know, pretty much passive investors. Do you have a property management team? And I'm pretty yeah. sure that, you know, with this, you're talking about even a, a medical care team. You know, who, who are those people that are going to be, you know, doing that running potentially? Yeah, um, we don't have a medical team, but I will oh. totally agree with what you just said, the idea of team. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things, uh, being one of the older guys out there now running around, doing life, uh, the idea of team, you think you can do it all when you're younger and you, you probably can, but you're not going to be the best at anything. 
you're going to be doing just enough to get by. You need to surround yourself with great people, great team. You'll go a lot farther, a lot faster. So because it is assisted living and because there are rules and regulations that are around that, and there is not a medical team per se, is there somebody who is medical on your, on your staff? Or are you leasing, say, the business, the, the, the property out to a company that does that kind of work and they're going to run that particular business for you? How does that normally work? So there is no national rules. There are statewide rules or district rules in your case. But the idea of those rules themselves, we're not a medical facility. So we're not doctors, nurses, and gurneys, not a hospital, not a nursing home. And it's not staying at home like the Golden Girls. So the Golden Girls is kind of one end. And then a nursing home is up here. We're right in the middle. So people live there 24-7. There's caregivers who take care of them. But they're not, not nurses, doctors, gurneys, you know, bags of fluid. If somebody needs to go to a doctor, just like you and I, we either drive there or they come to us. Same thing in a care home. Uh, so it's not a medical facility, but there are rules and regulations. And that breaks down into three parts, just to, for those people listening and want to know the idea of the house needs to be safe, not ADA compliant, because we're not hiring people with disabilities to take care of the elderly, but it needs to be senior safe. So grab bars near the toilets and showers, smooth floors, etc. You need policies and procedures. So there needs to be some documentation. The state needs to know that you're going to take care of these people. What's your plan? So we call it policies and procedures. And the third is there are certain requirements to have a licensed business. And that means have somebody who's in charge, a manager. I'm not the manager. I hire managers who have the training. They hire the caregivers who have their training. Some states have tiny hoops to jump through or bars to get over. Some states like Arizona, it's a very high bar, uh, but I'm not the manager. I'm not a caregiver. Don't want to be, didn't play one on TV. I hire those people to do their thing while I do my thing. There you go. Well, I thank you so much for clearing that up because, you know, I think some people, you know, they hear about it and they hear about this process and they're thinking, oh, well, I've got to go do all this. And it becomes very cumbersome. But, you know, it sounds like you all have taken the guesswork out of this by going, you know, getting this book and getting this course. Um, I guess I want to ask uh, and move on to, you know, I won't drill you anymore, but I want to ask a little bit more about what's going on with COVID and, sure. and your business model right now. How is that working out? You know, do you see any opportunities moving forward? Absolutely. You know, with a lot of what's going on in the past, it's been, imagine it now, six months now, this, this has been going on. But the point is, in the last six months with what's been going on, people have figured it out that smaller is better. Smaller is safer. When people think assisted living, they think nursing home. We're not a nursing home. When people hear about COVID and deaths of seniors, it's in nursing homes. And a lot of that was because of silly things that they did like put sick people into the place where we don't want these people to get sick. That was so stupid, I can't even tell you, Jonathan. But the concept of what we do, it's a home, not a hotel. So there's 10 seniors in there. There's two caregivers with them. If you close the front door, not a lot of problem comes through it. If you have a Brookdale facility, and not to name names, but Brookdale, Sunrise, Atria, 200 residents in there with 30 people going in and out, there's a lot of problems coming in and out that door. So in the big box facility, what's really been problematic for them is there's a lot of seniors where you and I, the kids, we can't go visit mom or grandma. We just cannot even go see her. She doesn't even get to go and do activities. She's sitting in her room and they're delivering food to her. That's solitary confinement. That is terrible. That's bad. In our homes, it's a home. 
They're not sitting around wearing masks on ventilators. These are seniors living their lives. So the protocols we've always had are the same and really nothing has changed other than we're not allowing a visitor in who's obviously sick and et cetera. So the opportunities are off the chart. I've been, I've been preaching this, I gotta say it for years now, smaller is better, but now they're even writing articles about this in the Senior Housing News, which is a big publication in our industry. June 3rd, the article titled, Smaller is Better, COVID-19 is making the big box facilities reevaluate what they're doing. They're trying to become smaller. They're trying to become us. Every time I go to their conventions, there's panels of people with the big question, how do we become more like a home? And I'm sitting there going, just be in a home, right? Just do it in a single family home. But they, up to this point, they've been looking down their nose at us saying, oh, you're too small, you're nothing. And now they're like, how do we become more like you? Uh, so it's, it's come full circle. People know that smaller is better. People are moving out of the big box into the smaller homes. And right now is the best time to get in because there's still people worried, what should I do? And so on. It takes you months. You don't just buy a house and fill it with seniors and good to go on the weekend. It's going to take you six months to get up and running, a year to get up and running. So do that now. So when the doors uh, are open, people are going to be saying, I want to be in your small home, not that big hotel with the viruses. So then in terms of those people who started six months ago, say with you and your team, where are they right now with, uh, with uh, you know, COVID as it is right now? Yeah, so we have a lot of people that are literally just opening up their home right now. Wow. And now we're, in, now we're into the filling the house phase, which is all about marketing, right? How do you get the word out? So if it's somebody who's building their second home, they may already have a waiting list that the second home is now just moving those people into. Somebody who's brand new, who doesn't have a reputation, et cetera, they need to be doing extra work on that marketing now. And we teach them how to do that. But marketing starts way before you're open. So if you're doing it properly way out here, by the time you have your open house, you may even have people waiting to move in. So, um, wow, that's a lot. And I'm, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, let's see, is there somebody, you know, is there something that we can do again? You know, once you have a situation that's been, you know, as impactful as you've had with, you know, your mom, you know, mm -hmm. and taking care of mom, and you know my family taking care of my my dad and my parents then you know you really get it you know that this is this is very impactful and i think this is an opportunity uh for people who've been looking to get into real estate that may not necessarily you know want to go multifamily. even though we're here red boot is here to help you with that um but again you have someone who has you know decades of, of real estate experience behind them um and uh you know obviously has a good track record uh, again you should go reach out to him um we'll make sure the contact information is below as well as the link to the book which is uh real uh, residential assisted living 101 so rel 101 rel 101 <laughs> i made it as simple as i could you did you did i didn't write it down man go get Look, go get the book. I mean, what is it going to take for you to go and read? Most of us are not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, you know, with the COVID situation, this is a good time to go and read and study, get your get your thoughts about you, and then reach out to uh, to Gene and his team. And so, if somebody's ready, other than reading your book, how do they reach out to you, Gene? What do they you know, your socials? Yeah. You can uh, go right to that website, go to our main website, ralacademy.com, or just call us at 480-704-3065, 480-704-3065. We actually have a virtual training coming up uh, next weekend, I think oh, it is, great. and it's, uh, 
you know, those things have been amazing. I didn't know they were going to be this good. But what's so cool about this, it's not just the training itself, but people have now tuned into the fact that it's okay to sit in front of your computer and learn in this live interactive way. And a big thing about what we do, we didn't even talk about this, but it's a family business. So we call it the AL family. We have a number of companies underneath. But as a family, that's a big part of what we do. So we've even been able to get that family feel on the online event with virtual happy hours and the whole bit. Virtual uh, happy hours. That's great. That's so, great. so, so how do they get in contact and get connected with this virtual training? Uh, again, call us 480-704-3065. Go to the website, RAL Academy, because there's all kinds of ways to either ask questions, watch a webinar. Uh, we'll help them out. If they just wander that way, we'll get them the answer. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, uh, the Shangri-La is now changing and we're going to have a thunderstorm here. But listen, it has been a pleasure having you on, Gene, and uh, definitely we'll make sure that this gets out uh, so that uh, people who are interested in assisted living, uh, and even if you're not interested in investing, maybe you can connect with Gene and his sure. team and, and other uh, operators to, to assist you with placing your uh, your loved ones at this point in time. So listen, thanks, thanks again. And if there's anything that we can do over here at Red Boot to help you, we will. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. All right.